Welcome to the Boise State Podcast. I'm Brady Moore. In today's episode, I'm joined by Mark Rudin, Boise State's Vice President for Research and Economic Development, Leslie Durham, an Associate Dean in the College of Arts and Sciences, Sean Benner, an Associate Professor from the Department of Geosciences, and Sienna Madrid from the Office of Communications and Marketing. We sat down to discuss Research Month, the future of research at Boise State, and how Boise State is moving beyond the stereotype of researchers sitting alone in the lab to include arts, humanities, and interdisciplinary work across campus. Perfect, yeah. So uh, what really precipitated this whole gathering um, right now is that April is Research Month. So Mark, I think we'll start with you. If you could just kind of tell us what Research Month is and, and what the focus was uh, throughout the month of April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, you know, we were, we're always looking for opportunities to promote research at the university. And, you know, as we took a look at the calendar of events, it seemed like a lot of different groups, a lot of different people were doing uh, re- were holding research-related events on campus during the month of April. You look at the science and engineering side of the house, you look at arts and humanities with the honeycomb events, roster of events. Uh, April is a pretty busy month in terms of research and uh, research activity. And so we said, oh, let's take advantage of that and let's use it as a, 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 this research month concept to promote research at the university. But it's a little bit more than that. Um, I think when certain folks around campus think about research, they think of science and engineering. That's, that's who does research on our campus. This was an opportunity also to tell the folks in art and theater and the humanities and across the board that their research is truly valued also at the university. And that it may take a different form than the scientist and engineer, but it doesn't make it any less valuable. You know, the research going on in the studio or the stage is just as valuable as the research going on in the lab or out, out in the field. And hence the, the I, what do you call that, the, the hashtag? Uh, yeah, this is research. This is, this is research. research. This is my research. That's where that originated, that um, uh, someone in the humanities does a certain type of research, and that's their type of research. That's what they do. And collectively, it's all part of the research enterprise of Boise State. I like that, and that research or the this is research hashtag. I was clicking through that online the other day. There's a lot, a lot of cool stuff that that you would otherwise miss um, if you weren't, you know, looking for that, and if we didn't have this uh, research month going on. So that's been great for sure. And, and Leslie, maybe you can speak a little bit more about how what Mark was saying before, where folks kind of always just assume it's you know the science and the engineering and the hard sciences. But there's a lot of research going on in the arts and humanities as well. Can you speak to some of that research? Sure, absolutely. Um, I think the arts and humanities are a vital part of research on campus. And whether artists and humanists necessarily refer to all of their work as being research, I think there are a lot of um, points of contact and certainly phases of their scholarly and creative activity that involve research. Um, they're asking big questions, they're tackling big issues, they're experimenting and questioning, um, they're often collaborating. Um, they may not always want their results to be replicable in the same ways that scientists and engineers might want to, but they absolutely want to share that work um, with the public in some way. 
whether it's a group of their peers or a much broader audience in terms of to whom it is they are disseminating this work. So I think there are really a lot of points of contact between um, what faculty and students are doing in the arts and humanities and what faculty and students are doing in the sciences. So um, I was excited that Mark was uh, leading the way with this initiative, and I loved the hashtag, this is research, that um, a faculty member in English, in fact, was the mm-hmm. one who helped develop that idea in collaboration with one of her students. And um, they were eager to show people, you know, reading great American short stories, going to the library, um, all of those things count as research too, um, as does designing lights or writing a short story or playing a sonata. Um, we all have something to contribute to this initiative on campus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the reasons I asked Sean to join us at the table is because I, I knew that I could, that we we're going to get into a discussion about the science and engineering. Leslie certainly has a great perspective of the arts and humanities and social sciences. But we have some major initiatives at the university that the research is actually a a synergy of those various STEM and um, the arts and humanities and so forth, like the the HES, Human Environmental Systems, that Sean has been involved in. And that research can be about all these different disciplines coming together to solve problems. So Sean, do you you take a second to talk? um, Yeah, we've been fortunate to be involved in a a really uh, kind of very innovative, I think, and, and creative research endeavor that has been supported um, by the National Science Foundation. And that it's an effort to try to develop, uh, I guess, essentially a broader perspective um, on complex human environmental problems. And so that we formed a group, <coughs> excuse me, a group of faculty that are, uh, that have been, it includes faculty that are already here, but we also hired a bunch of new faculty into this group called Human Environmental Systems. Uh, and that group of faculty are focusing on trying to solve what we call wicked environmental problems. And one of the things that we have struggled with, um, and by we I mean us kind of biophysical scientists, people who are like engineers or geologists or, or uh, biologists, is that we look at the world through a, a, from a perspective that is um, you know, useful for some problems, but when you look at complex environmental problems, uh, you often... If you just take this kind of what's what, how much water is flowing through the system, or how many animals are on the landscape, or where, how are they moving around, uh, that you end up with really incomplete views of the problem, and you can't really fix it. Okay. Right? So if you're if you're thinking about like a just as an example in the Treasure Valley, uh, we face a potentially challenging future with respect to water use, and so as a hydrologist, which is what I am. I can tell you how much water is going to be here or there, and I can make some projections about, um, you know, how much evaporation there's going to be and how much, how high the river is going to get, and things like that. But ultimately, if you really want to think about what the future of the water in the Treasure Valley looks like, you have to understand the people, and so you have to. So we we've built this deep partnership with a whole team of social scientists who are looking at the problem from the perspective of humans and asking questions like. What is the decision structure that makes decisions about how much water should go into the New York Canal? Um, who is, what is, how does a farmer decide what crops is going to plant? Uh, and trying to tie all of that together into sort of a cohesive understanding of the system that allows us to make a much better, for example, say, what will water use look, look like in the Treasure Valley in 2100? 
So you so, mentioned wicked problems. Is yeah. showering too long a wicked problem, or can you give us an example? Yeah, so a wicked, wicked problem is, I mean, I think of it as simply a kind of problem that um, is really hard to solve. Uh, and and basically we think of wicked problems as problems that are unsolvable. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were to take any of the single perspectives, disciplinary perspectives, and apply and try to solve the problem, it would be impossible to solve. So, like, what problems so, is your team for example, invested in? Yeah, so um, an example, a question that is, you know, very profound for the Treasure Valley related to water, just say on that topic for a little while, is uh, will we have enough water in 50 years to support the kind of community we want to have? And there's all kinds of uncertainties about that. There's how many people will be in the valley. How will they use water? How will climate change affect that problem? Um, how will all those things interact in ways that, how will farmers change their behavior going forward in response to these stressors? Uh, which land will be developed? How will it be developed? Uh, what will happen to the water when that happens? Uh, those are all, those are all um, any, any single disciplinary person, me being a hydrologist, if I were to look at that problem, you know, I could tell you something about how climate change might affect the amount of evaporation on the landscape. But that's just such an incomplete view of that. And it's only by taking that and then talking to the farmers and saying, well, so what, what do you think is going to happen over the next 20 years? And what are the kinds of decisions that you're struggling with in terms of how you decide when to water your field or when not to water your field? and go into the people that are making decisions about the management of the reservoirs and saying, so what, what, how, how, when you guys are making decisions and something changes, what are you, how are you responding to that? Are you, are you going to keep more water in the reservoir or are you going to let more water out? Um, and trying to pull all that together into an understanding of how the system actually functions. Right? So, and, and once you do that, then you can actually say, look, we have a pretty good guess of what the future might look like if we make these decisions. Or the future might look in a different way if we make these decisions. So what you're talking about um, interests me because it sounds very collaborative. And when I think of research, I tend to think of one person doing a very lonely, taxing thing um, because it is their, you know, passion. So can you speak, both of you, Leslie and Sean, speak to, like, the collaborative aspects of research on campus? Yeah, I mean, I maybe just make a quick jumping-off statement, which is that that's the future, right? We, we're at a stage where to make progress, it's getting harder and harder to make progress, you know, because it, a lot of these questions have been answered, that the hard, many, many of the really hard, difficult questions require these really uh, deep collaborative relationships, and, um, and it is a really hard. There's no question about it, so... I would say there's room for both the single artist scholar to do an individual project and to do collaborative projects in the arts and humanities. Um, A project that I'm thinking of that's bringing people from a variety of disciplines, even though they may not be tackling a wicked problem necessarily, is the narrative television initiative. That there are faculty from communication, from the MFA in creative writing, um, and from theater arts who are working in collaboration with students to produce a three-episode television season. And so it's an opportunity for different artistic skills and practices to come together um, for students and faculty to see how, how they both work and to put something really unique out in front of the public. So that is a good example, I think, from the 
from the arts side of the house about how we can collaborate um, across disciplinary boundaries and produce something really unique and give our students a great opportunity that also lets them see into the world of um, commercial artistic production as well that we do want our students also to be thinking about um, what's coming next and how they'll put those skills to work and so something like the narrative television initiative is a great opportunity for them to do that. That sounds really cool. How did that happen? How did that come about? Um, it was an idea of Ryan Cannon in the Department of Communication um, that he was interested in this and had seen a fairly similar model at work, I think, at his um, graduate institution at the University of Texas at Austin. And so um, started pulling together collaborators. Uh, Brady Udall from Creative Writing taught the Writer's Room um, semester of the course. It's a three-semester course sequence, so Brady took the first part. Um, Ryan's doing some of the pre-production and production um, coursework, and then there's post-production that will be coming, too. And so it's a, a great combination of people that kind of started from this initial idea um, and has really generated some great energy and excitement across those disciplines. Do you know when we can expect to see these episodes? I think late fall semester. Okay. Um, and I will also point out that Mark was an early supporter of this project and contributed some really significant funding to, to help that get off the ground. What's going to be, <clears throat> where are those episodes going to be displayed or shown? I'm not sure how many venues they're seeking. I think they will use the university's television station. I guess that's been my assumption. I hope I'm right about that since I'm saying that publicly. Um, but I think they'll also be interested in entering the episodes into various kind of competitions and festivals as well. Um, and then I don't know what kind of online presence they're thinking about having, but I imagine that would also be... Um, one more avenue for getting people the opportunity to see the work. I'm sorry, did you say three episodes? Three there? episodes. Mm. Yep. Mm. It's a good start. Yeah, yeah, I'm Is it excited. going to be a comedy? Is it going to be a drama? Uh, I'm not sure exactly, mm. but um, it should be interesting for sure. That's yeah. really interesting. So, I'm excited to see that for yeah. sure. And these are students that are, are will students, students be. Have, it, it's a whole combination. The... Richard Clouch from Theater Arts, the chair, is cast. I know <laughs> that he's cast. There's some alums um, like in the right valley, there, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, but also current students, I yeah. believe, are oh, involved as well. Great. Well, yeah, and I know we were talking about this this kind of interdisciplinary aspect of research, and it, and you were mentioning Sean that that's that's the future essentially, uh, is, you know, getting groups of folks together. And so I was wondering, Mark, if you could speak a little bit about what you see as the future of research at Boise State, um, if you have any ideas or plans or, or hopes, dreams, yeah. really anything, what, what do you see? Well, um, you know, Boise State has come a long way ever since President Kustra <clears throat> arrived at this university. And... You know, this, this dream of, this, of being a metropolitan research university was recently realized by the university via Carnegie Foundation. Now we're designated as a, uh, classified as a doctoral research university. But we, I think we still have a ways to go. I think that there are still uh, additional steps that the university can take to continue moving research forward. Uh, in older terms, we're kind of considered this R3 institution now but we just miss being an R2 institution. And I think long-term, uh, I think we should shoot for the stars and try to continue to work towards being an R1 institution. And, and Leslie has heard me say this before. Um, we have made great progress at the university, 
I think a lot of this progress has happened in the science and engineering fields. And I know this sounds like a, a bit of a bold statement, but in order for Boise State to continue to grow into R2 and R1, we need the humanities, the social sciences, the arts, the health sciences to step up and play a big role. They're going to play a big role on us advancing the university to a higher level of research activity at this university. If you just take a look at the metrics that Carnegie uses to rank schools, um, there, are, there are some metrics such as PhD in the arts. How many graduates do you have in the, in the arts? How many graduates do you have in the humanities? Well, Boise State experienced all this growth, but we had zeros in some of those columns. And I think there's a lot of potential to move that forward. There's also a, a category, and, and I know folks don't like using this term, but I'll use it because Carnegie uses it. They look at one of the, another metric is research expenditures. How, how, many, how much research expenditures do you have at, at the university? And they, but they break that down into STEM and non-STEM areas. And we, start, we have been increasing and doing a decent job in the STEM areas, not so much in the non-STEM areas. So I think the university has to think longer term, has to think strategically, has to look at investment strategies in, the, in the non, these non-STEM areas. And that's where I think we're going we're gonna to make some progress is the growth and um, uh, uh, growth of research in these non-STEM areas. So <clears throat> for people like you who are in an administrative position at Boise State and people like Brady and I who are communicating for the university, yeah. um, the Carnegie designation means a lot. But can you explain to like to our audience, what it means, why should students care about this? Why should professors care about our, di our distinction between an R1, 2, or 3? I think what the Carnegie classification does, it informs the outside world how we compare to our peers. And there's a certain amount of prestige associated with that classification. And the, the, the higher your classification, the more quote-unquote prestige you have as a university. And students, faculty, staff, companies that are interested in working with the universities uh, are influenced or are, are drawn to institutions that have a, have a higher prestige to them. I know that uh, um, we have great faculty at this university, and they come from great Schools, we, we, we always seem to laud that we just got this new faculty member from the University of Washington, just got this new dean from the University of Utah, from the R1 school. Well, that's what we aspire to be. That's, that's where I think all universities aspire to be. And we can still be distinctive in a number of different areas, even as an R3 or doctoral research university, but I think that's not the Boise State way to settle on that. I think we will continue to grow, continue to uh, work to and, and create a, uh, a bit of a, to borrow a uh, phrase from football, fourth and one attitude. We're going to continue moving this thing forward here. So I think it really, there is an attraction for, I, I think it helps in recruitment of faculty, as I mentioned. I think it helps in recruitment of students, certainly graduate students are probably more likely drawn to a, a more prestigious university. I just think it helps in so many different ways. I think it's just a measure, too, of, of our um, capacity. 
and that capacity is is um, has a huge impact on our students. And I think just as one example, the one of the key metrics that has been identified as being important for for um, generating successful students is uh, faculty engagement with them, right? And so we, in a real traditional system, that might have been through the classroom, right? But uh, I think now we, um, and this is across the institution, we think of of that engagement as often being a lot more more, uh, nuanced and more complicated and more interesting. Um, And just as we, you know, we often now are trying to bring students into our laboratories, into our facilities, into these world-class research space, uh, and giving them opportunities to engage as student researchers, uh, and that is, you know, been people have determined that as like one of the key metrics for students to go on to graduate school. Mm-hmm. If they spend a semester in one of our in one of these facilities, that is a reflection of of this higher level of, of capacity. Uh, then their 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 likelihood of, of going on to, to graduate research is much much higher. That's how you hook them. Well, I hook them, and also just like they get inspired, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that. Uh, then you know that means we have a more educated workforce, so it all kind of it's all kind of wrapped together. Yeah. Uh, and you know one of the things that I think all of us at Boise State are really concerned about is not losing that kind of student-centered focus as we grow, um, and we take it really seriously. And so I don't know of a single department on campus that doesn't still make that the centerpiece of their efforts. And so when we think about our research, it's always in the context of what is this going to bring to not just our graduate students, but our undergraduates and high school students that we're going to bring in. Uh, and um, I think that's probably exemplified by the VIP program in the College of Innovation Design, which is uh, a program that's basically explicitly designed to build these research programs that, that, that engage people from the postdocs and the faculty all the way down to bringing in people from high schools and bringing our undergrads in and, and engaging them over a long period of time, maybe even for a year or two years, into the research endeavor. Uh, and again, just high high impact activities in terms of of the, the, the quality of the education our students get. Now, so, you know, let me take a different angle on this too. You know, I think sometimes research offices and researchers kind of get a, a, a pigeonholed into all you care about is research. While other faculty say, well, I came here to teach students and, and be an educator. And so sometimes we get into this situation where the teachers are over here and the researchers are over there. And I, I take a little bit of an exception to that because whether you're in the classroom, again, or you're, if you're in the, in the, on the stage or in the, the studio or the lab, students are involved in both of those. And it's all about learning. I can't... I can't differentiate, I can't tease out research from learning, I can't tease out teaching in a room from learning, Those and from one another. They're all accomplishing the same task, all about student learning. And if you take a look at uh, the research at Boise State, everyone knows, everyone has seen the numbers, right? The award dollars going, the trajectory is great. We're going to have another increase this year. Um, but if you take a look at, at the growth of our research, uh, I'm sorry, of our graduate uh, students, particularly the PhD students, that's kind of level, level, and then just recently it's taken off. Well, where did all that growth come from if we didn't have a lot of PhD students hanging around the campus? It came, and that growth was on, kind of on the backs of our undergraduates. They played an integral role 
on the research in the research enterprise at Boise State. We could have not experienced the success we have had without the undergraduate in the lab next to or in the research field doing the work they do. And that's something Sean's right. I think that's something we're always going to preserve in the name of advancing the university, but more importantly, advancing student learning. We want the students involved in that process. I think I just think it's incredibly invaluable. Yeah, I think we're you know we in, in the sciences. I think we really are taking our lead from you know what is how it's always been done in the arts. For example, I mean, I don't think that I think practice has been a deep part of of the education educational process. And you know, for if you're going to learn to be a paint, an artist, you're clearly going to spend a huge amount of time actually practicing the activities and I think that when we think about engaging students in research on the biophysical or the you know like the engineering side or you know the biology in the biology program it's really I think we're taking that model from from the the humanities to be honest yeah mentorship is incredibly important whether it's in the lab or or in the theater right with um you guys have been explicit about that for for a long yeah we're just sort of getting caught up really in a lot of ways yeah so can you speak a little bit about that that mentorship in the arts sure. and, and how and maybe Sean you could also speak about how it's it's transitioning over into the art sciences? I'm thinking of what the lighting design faculty in theater. Um, Raquel Davis is a world class lighting designer. She's designed in theaters um, across the globe. She's just back um, from Panama. She designed um, an opera in a ruined cathedral in Panama. So she does amazing work, but she's also incredibly devoted to her students. She, um, every summer, I think for the last five years, has taken um, a young lighting designer with her um, through an internship program at the O'Neill Center in Connecticut. And that is one of the um, preeminent regional theaters in the country, that they are um, a major place for developing new American playwrights. And so she gives these students uh, truly an incredible experience to be able to go there under her wing, um, to learn with her as she is um, helping new plays find their ways to the stage, that that kind of close one-on-one relationship that, as Sean was saying, is very practice-based. It's not just theoretical, though, of course, there's theory to it, too, um, but it's hands-on. It's with an expert in the field that she really helps pave the way for those students um, to find their own artistic voices and to enter a profession um, as they leave the the university. So the arts are, are definitely doing that as well. Can you maybe yeah. speak a little bit about how that that same concept can be applied, you know, out out in the in the mountains? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we, uh, I think that just get developing an approach which is makes that a bit more deliberate has really been an important part for in terms of how we've moved that forward. And by that, I mean building the structures within the institution to support that. I think the undergraduate. Um, research program on Boise State's campus is amazing. Uh, and we have, for example, this whole program during the summer, the uh, research experience program for the undergrads, which, which uh, creates a community, which is a really important part of the formula, is, is bringing a bunch of them together. They may be working individually in a lab, but there's this group that they're part of. Um, they get training in how to communicate their science, which is a kind of a really an emerging kind of focus in the sciences right now is just getting better at, at engaging and communicating that science. 
they uh, present and, and they present at the research conference in the summer. Hundreds of students come from all over the state to, to talk about their research, and that's all focused on undergraduates. Uh, and so that structure that the institution is, has built um, makes it so much easier to do this. And it used to be when someone was just an individual faculty that tried to make all this work. Now there's this whole, there's, there's basically institutions saying, look, this is important, and we're going to support it. Fantastic. So, uh, go on. I was just going to add that, you know, we talk a lot about mentorship and faculty mentorship and so forth, but I think it needs to be said that um, Boise State enjoys a wonderful and somewhat unique relationship with the city of Boise and industry and folks that work in this town. And I've seen example after example of um, community people that have also served as mentors to students. You know, whether that mentorship is one-on-one. -on -one. I've had students that have, uh, we've had uh, industry people, community people just talk to about, provide career advice. Um, whether it's just one-on-one -on -one or if it's through an internship opportunity. And now we're looking at co-op opportunities at this university and trying to do something special, not just go have the student go to the company and leave through human resource manuals for three months, actually doing work under the, the purview of, of a knowledgeable person in the field. And so I think that's, a, that's an incredible resource that Boise State has. And other schools have that too, but I just think we have a very special relationship with Boise. Uh, that is a great point, Mark, and along the lines of what I was going to ask, which was, um, we've talked a lot about research on campus. Uh, Sean, Leslie, maybe you could talk about any collaborations outside of campus, any like city collaborations or other cool collaborations that you've yeah, been mean, a part is, of. This or? is a, like, there's just a huge, I feel like this is another place that there's a huge um, kind of focus right now, is trying to drive our research um, in directions that are more directly uh, related to the communities we live in. And I think the water, the research we've done on water resources in the Treasure Valley is an example. Um, I have a project working with Idaho Power um, on cloud seeding um, in the mountains uh, of Idaho. Uh, we have um, lots of uh, examples of uh, another group that's meeting, actually tomorrow is meeting with a, a group that's interested in, in farm preservation in the Treasure Valley, and so they're helping to, and it's a very dynamic relationship where the, the stake, we, we call them stakeholders, right, the people in the community that, that care about these issues, uh, where they'll tell us, look, this is what we think we need to, this is the problem that we need to solve. Instead of us coming in saying, we do this and we can solve your problems, it's really trying to flip that around a little bit and saying, look, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? And they'll say, well, gosh, we really need some information about um, how much um, farmland we're losing. And so we'll go back to the lab and work on that and come back to them with a product and say, hey, is this what you were looking at? And they'll go, yeah, that's kind of what we are looking at, but really what we need is this thing over here. And so we'll, we'll ex there'll be this kind of exchange that goes on where, where we're interested in it. There's some kind of deep intellectual value that we're generating, but we're also doing something that's really practical and useful to some group or organization or company uh, in the community. And so that's, I think that's another, uh, kind of another thing that I, I feel like is really, Boise State is good at, we're, we're get, and, we need, and we're getting, we need to get better at it, but I think we're, we're pretty darn good at it. 
Yeah, I think Boise State is good at it with the arts, too, that um, Boise has an incredibly vibrant artistic community, particularly for the size of the city. Um, there's so much going on here, and there's more starting all the time. And a lot of the energy fueling that growth and that creative excitement is coming from Boise State. Boise State faculty, Boise State students, Boise State alums are... Um, integrally connected to the major cultural organizations here, the creative industries here. Um, Boise State creativity is fueling a lot of what's really exciting happening in Boise, whether it's Idaho Shakespeare Festival, the Philharmonic, the ballet, um, Tree Fort and Story Fort, uh, all kinds of things that you find Boise State creative talent at work throughout um, the city of Boise, and that's part of what makes Boise such a great place to live. And it attracts other creative people to the city. It makes this a place where they'd like to, to live and raise their families and, and start their own businesses. And so um, I think Boise State artists are incredibly um, proud of what they do to contribute to um, Boise's cultural scene. And see, and I would say that Boise State's reach is greater than just Boise and the Treasure Valley. You know, we have... Um, We've been getting pretty familiar with the Idaho National Lab, uh, and we have a rather large, a large number of projects, research projects involving the National Lab. You know, we have the material scientists that are working on new nuclear materials and developing sensors for placement in, a, in an active nuclear reactor. We have Dave Solon and the Energy Policy Institute doing research in energy policy. Jeff Black from uh, economics. Uh, uh, performed an economic impact study of the of the Idaho National Lab in the state of Idaho, and so I think there our our reach is becoming greater and greater uh, around the state, and folks are starting to come to us with or continue to come to us uh, to tap into that expertise we have at this university, and we develop good products in the, in the, in all those works that we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah, I've, I've looked into some of those INL projects, and there's there's more, more and more projects coming out of there every day connected to Boise State. Yeah, which absolutely. Is a great great resource to have just a couple hours away. Yeah, that is, that is a competitive advantage Boise that Idaho has having a national lab in our state. And uh, I'm just thankful that a lot of the expertise we have at Boise State matches up nicely with the initiatives and and the talent that's out at the Idaho National Lab. Yeah. Um, so we've only got a couple minutes left, so yeah. I was going to give you guys the opportunity. If there's anything else you'd like to add, we can kind of go around and feel free to just, you know, tell us whatever you want. And if not, I have a really schlocky, what I call a TV news question, because TV news, we're both former reporters, they always ask the, like, how does that make you feel question <laughs> at press conferences. So my parting question is, uh, Boise State is known as a research university of distinction. That is kind of one of the taglines we use a lot. And so what does that mean to you? If you were going to talk to a prospective student or a prospective faculty member, like how would you sell them on, on that tagline? We're, um, I guess I, I, I've kind of obsessed with the word impact and that um, we, we uh, strive to have a positive impact. And that, that comes in a lot of different forms, right? It comes in, in terms of impacting our students and making them really successful. It, it, it also involves, you know, ensuring that the research we do is going to change the world in some small way. And so I think um, 
rather than trying, I, you know, I think the, the prestige part is great, but in the end, I don't really care about that as much. I think as a faculty member, I care about, about having an impact. And sometimes that impact is, is somewhere here in the community. Sometimes maybe it's, it's with some group in, uh, in Cambodia, um, but, but that we're trying to do something that's gonna, that the people are going to look back and go, that was t money well spent. I think Boise State is a great place to create. That's probably how I would start the conversation. Um, there are no boundaries here for you in terms of what your creative energy and vision um, can do. The freedom is immense. Um, the potential is huge. And to come here and to be able to create is is a gift. And it's a gift then that you get to share with other people. And um, there's really, there's no other place that I want to be to do that work, and I think a lot of my colleagues share that feeling. Yeah, I think um, when people, we have, we've been doing a lot of interviews for new positions recently, and I, when they ask me, you know, so how long have you been here, and you know, how do you like it, um, I'm able to look them in the eye and say, there's not a job I would trade this for. There's not a job in the world, in any city, any university, where I'd rather be. And that, I think that says a lot because I think that the, the combination of this amazing town, this institution, my colleagues, the administration, there is no limit to what you can do here. And um, it's a pretty cool place to be as a faculty member, and I think because of that it's a really cool place to be as a student. You know, two years ago, <clears throat> my son was looking at universities to attend, and he could have gone just about anywhere national merit finalist getting offers from all over the place and my wife and I said okay no it, it's up to you to uh, decide where you want to go and just one day he walked into my room and he goes dad I want to go to Boise State I said that's fine just I just want to know why why would you choose Boise State and he goes you know you know that that girl that introduced President Obama when he was here he goes I, I would want to do that I want to do stuff like that and I said, no, you know, there's probably not going to be another sitting president at Boise State <laughs> before yours you're here, right? He goes, I know. But she was given an opportunity. Key word is opportunity. She was given an opportunity to do something that was very special. And I feel like Boise State would give me the chance to have to do things like that. Give me the opportunity to do really neat and cool things that I couldn't get for example, at Arizona State, they would have 80,000 other students in attendance. And so, you know, I, I think the university takes great pride. My office takes great pride in growing the research enterprise here. But, but I take greater pride in the opportunity that that growth, the programming, the other things that come out of what we do in research that creates opportunities for students. We have students publishing papers on a regular basis. We have students that are working with, who, who would have thought we'd have the uh, former commander of the International Space Station teaching a handful of students, Steve Swanson, teaching a handful of students uh, a, a short course on robotics. We had Barbara Morgan here for a couple of years interacting with students on microgravity uh, um, initiatives. We have Heather Marion that comes here that from uh, a writer for the, the TV show uh, Better, Better Call Saul, 
that knocked it out of the park. Because if you attended that event, she spoke to the students during that event. It wasn't a, there were a lot of faculty, a lot of general public, but the, she targeted the students. And it was just a wonderful experience. And we have just have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for our students. And that's when I, when I sit down with a student, I say, they say they're looking at a number of different schools. The word opportunity always comes up because I really think that we create that and we make a concerted effort to create that at Boise State for our students. And that's really what it's all about.